Big Fluff. She gets a special cologne. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. Yep, it's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. <laughs> it stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it is November, everybody. Yep. And that means it's Thanksgiving season. And what's a Thanksgiving dinner without a kid's table? Yeah. I wouldn't know because I'm always at it. So, yeah, being a childless adult, you end up at the kid's table more often than not. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was our thought. And so we are going to be watching kids movies this month. And we're starting by having, as you can tell from that opening clip, Mac and me watch Mac and me. Yep. Joel and I watch Mac and me. It doesn't work as well that way. Me and Joel watch a movie. There you go. That was the original pitch for the name of this podcast. And that took I'm such us... a cipher that it'd be like if you watch, if you listen to the podcast, it's like watching a movie with Joel. It also took us four hours to come up with that title. Yes. <laughs> and they were like four painful hours. They were like, let's call it a day. Let's let's you know, let's just go home, start fresh tomorrow. And then two minutes in, Silver Linings playback. Yeah, it's crazy. Look, before we get into this movie, which is bananas, you know, I there's something that's weighing on me, and I think we should discuss it. I know that you probably want to get this out in the open, too. We're trying to be t- transparent. You know, October's behind us, and um, there was an unfortunate incident at Wine and Spirit Halloween, and I'm sure you saw the headlines. And I, I just think we should talk about it. If we have to, but I was I just want to let the past be the past, if I'm being perfectly honest. Well, to be clear, our lawyers advise me not to talk about it. And I think our lawyers are smart. I think we have the best lawyers. I don't like them. Clearly. <laughs> Look, I just all I really want to say is I get it. I get why it's a viral video when a Care Bear punches Superman. But... You know, Superman landed in a display case full of items from our good friends and sponsors, Jack-O-Lanterns, and, and they're furious. They are, they are very angry at what happened, and I think you looked adorable in the Care Bear suit. I'm just going to say it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You, you made a good Superman. You know... Uh, if it wasn't for the demon sweat still burning uh, every orifice in my body, I, I would be able to accept that compliment. I do feel like when you said this stuff is terrible, that that was probably the nail in the coffin. I, I, I mean, it's delicious on like a bagel. Yeah, but not in your eyes. 
<laughs> no, I just I just don't think it should be in your eyes, your ears, other places. It just shouldn't be there. Yeah. Well, but again, uh, apologies and uh you know, uh we will be fighting this in court. Yeah. Uh we have deep pockets here at Silver Linings Playback. Deeper pockets than Mr. Jonathan Oliver Lantern. Yeah, they don't have cash in them, but they're deep. Yeah. We just yeah. wear cargo <laughs> shorts. <laughs> We wear cargo jinkos. <laughs> yeah. So they're very deep, but, you know, butterfly. Yeah, they're filled with butterflies. They're moths that, you know, yes. flutter out every time we reach One at there. a time. Yeah. For comedic effect. They're well-trained moths. <laughs> and that's, a, that's probably where all our money's going, is training these moths that live for about a week to pull off that stunt. You know, I never thought about it that way, but that is thousands of dollars a month. Thousands of, like, you buy the eggs, you buy the incubators, you buy the heat lamps. You have the pit in your basement to bury the senator's daughter. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And the, you know, I wouldn't call them laughs, but the polite smiles that it gets on people's faces <laughs> when the moth comes out. I think it's I like it. that. Huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That really happens, huh? Yeah. I like it. I, although, like, every fifth time, they're not looking. No, and then you you spent thousands of dollars raising a moth for nothing. Yeah, but I still, I like to look at that as an 80% success rate. Hey, listen, if we were baseball players with an 80% success rate, we'd be in the Hall of Fame first ballot, so. That's true, except I, I gamble on the, the games, so. And I take lots of steroids, yeah. which is why I made such a good Superman. <laughs> All right, but uh, enough enough of that. I just wanted to to address that. We, obviously, we got to get back to Mac and me. Mac yes, and me. Now that yeah, Mac and me need to get back to Mac and me. Yeah. Uh, and and since Wine and Spirit Halloween is closed for another eleven calendar months, so we'll yeah, which, we'll which is hopefully enough time for the dust to settle, for the litigation to come through. Maybe we'll find a new sponsor. I don't know. We'll see. You will have to, we'll all have to wait until next October. Can't wait. So, okay. This movie though. So, okay. Cards on the table. I assume that maybe you had the same experience I did, which is I only really knew this movie as the movie that Paul Rudd plays a clip from every time he goes on Conan O'Brien's shows. So I was aware of this movie's existence when it came out. Like I was aware of this weird ET knockoff. Like I had I had an image of of Mac, the mysterious alien creature from Mac and Me, uh, in my head. But having watched it tonight, I definitely have not seen this movie because it would have been seared in my memory. Yeah, well, that's what's wild is you and I are the same age, but I have no memory of this as a kid. Like it was not on my radar growing up i feel like it's one of those things where like i saw the vhs at the video store all the time never rented it because i was like this can't be worth my time <laughs> uh but yeah i mean this will be an interesting episode because i i think we can succinctly talk about why it's maligned because i think the reasons are very obvious and then we can probably just spend the rest of the time unpacking the I'm going to call it delightful insanity of this movie. <laughs> if by the reasons it's maligned, you mean none. Well, I mean, I think what you oh, know, no, this movie. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, it is delightful insanity, uh, but it, it 
this might be the most obviously maligned movie we've watched this year. Ooh, that's an interesting question. I'm well, okay, so um the what's the the vampire Morpheus or uh Morbius, not Morpheus, Morbius. That Did was we last Morbius year. at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean that that's I don't if, know. Yeah. Like this is the most glaring in its flaws and errors and misgivings, I feel like. Well, yeah, I mean to to some it's of not, the, I would rather watch this again than Morbius, than Blonde, than uh anything we watched between January and March. I'd say that this would actually be embarrassingly high on my list of ranking movies that we've watched this year. But uh, it's better than any of the Nick. I would watch this before any of the Nick Cage movies we watched this year. Yeah, and that makes, that makes me sad because I love Nicolas Cage. I love but, Nick Cage, but it's, it's still a true statement. It was. Well, uh, huh. I might watch Drive Angry before I'd watch this. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, Drive Angry might. Because I could watch that like and enjoy it independent of the podcast. Also, I want to be clear. I love Nick Cage. I don't want to have him upset with us. The last thing I would ever want is for me and him to have beef. No, you don't want to have beef with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. So, Well, you want to have like a nice roast beef if you were uh, a meat eater. That's true. Uh, but I mean, I would have said that I could have had some Satan with him, but those were in happier times. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to I don't want to pick at that scab. But uh, but yeah, I think the obvious reasons are that this is, I will generously say, derivative of E.T. That's the most generous you could be about this. Um, it, this is is more of a knockoff than any of the mockbusters that we watched last July. Yeah, it's somehow beat for beat et but also it's that but by someone who's never seen et it's by someone who like her, someone who had et explained to them by michael pena's character from ant-man and then that person tried to explain michael pena's explanation to Sean Raffle, the director, and then he made this movie. Yeah, and so it's it's obviously that it's very ET, but then also it fairly has been pointed out is essentially, and I mean, look, let's be clear, Car you know, just to to state it, the original ET is not without product placement. I'm looking at you, no. Reese's PCs. However, um, it's very blatantly a ad for both mcdonald's and coca-cola and i believe they financed this yeah they, they're definitely some some dark money funding this movie from mcdonald's and coca-cola uh yeah this is this is a blatant cash grab from those two companies um I, one thing Which, i was reading money well oh, spent because definitely if i can think of two companies that need a movie to get their names out there. It's McDonald's and Coca-Cola. Yeah, certainly not the most understood word across all languages, Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you can say those words in literally every country on the planet and receive a brown sugary fizzy drink um, says something for ubiquity, I would say. And McDonald's, the restaurant that there is the most of per capita, uh, and I would guess every American city. It, fun fact, it's actually second. There are more Subway stores than McDonald's stores. Okay, the most restaurants that people eat in. The most restaurants that people don't settle for. 
Yes. Like no one's ever chosen Subway. They're like, ah, I got all right. I guess Subway. No, no, no one has ever wanted to eat at Subway or enjoyed eating at Subway. No, never, never once. Um, but you know, I, I'm not a, I, I'll, you know, again, cards on the table. Not a huge McDonald's fan. I, the fries are delicious. I honestly cannot remember the last time I went to a McDonald's. It's been several years, at least. I actually can remember the last time I went to McDonald's, and it was because it was on a school fit, uh, field trip to the Udvarhazi Space uh, Museum in uh, near Dulles Airport in Virginia, and that was the restaurant on site. Yeah, that makes sense. And that. And that was the last time I, I ate McDonald's. I would almost guess, too, the last time I went through a McDonald's line, it was probably to get a drink. Ooh. Oh, no, I did go and get a drink one time uh, when I was driving. I was on a road trip and I did get a I, I got a beverage there. Yeah, I, I want to say that was the last time. And that was years ago. So, uh, yeah. And it was because I didn't see this movie as a kid, because if I had, it would be... I would have known how great McDonald's is. Yeah. But I think, I mean... You know, those are the two big reasons. And then I would just, I guess, say the overall slapdash rushed production feel of all of it. I mean, the costuming and makeup effects stellar, the editing flawless. It feels like someone told them they had two weeks to make this entire movie. Yeah. And and they (laughs) day one. Was the wheelchair going down uh, the the cliff into the water thing, and that blew their entire budget? Like that that was it, and then they were like, "Okay, now we have fifty dollars to make the rest of this movie," <laughs> and four days. <laughs> but I'd say money well spent because that yeah. scene obviously uh, made famous by Paul Rudd and iconic. But I don't even know if it's the craziest scene in this movie. It's not it might not even be the top five craziest scenes in this movie. Yeah, I think the the most bizarre thing about it is that it happens very early in the movie. It is it is the end of the first act, essentially. Yeah, it's if for those if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the movie, you're smart. Uh, And also that it's essentially at this point, Mac has been hiding in the shadows and it's when he must reveal himself to the world. Um, Or to, to Eric. Well, Eric, like. Yeah, well, I is aware of him, but like really makes himself known. Yeah, that's the first time he and Eric have some like real FaceTime with each other because Eric dies and he saves him. <laughs> because yeah, he dies I'm, for the first time in this movie. Because apparently their backyard is the steepest cliff you've ever seen that drops into <laughs> like a, a 50 foot free fall <laughs> into a into an open uh, lake. Famous part of. Uh, Outer Los Angeles's geography is steep cliffs into deep lakes. I can show you where that is. That's, uh, you know, it's right near me. I pass it every day, you know, when I'm walking Jolie. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I do. I do wonder uh, what was the greater quantity of Coke on this set? A cola or Ayin? I feel Ayin? like cocaine. <laughs> is that that's the pronunciation you're going with? yeah all right well okay you know i think i think it's worth pointing out that just to illustrate this point that you and i were texting each other as we often do (laughs) when we were watching it and i said to you 
uh, like I was asking you how far into the movie you are. And I, I said, not sure where you're at, but I am at a truly bonkers scene is what I texted you. And I didn't want to give away what it was. And I asked where you were at and you said that you were about 30 minutes in. And I said, well, in another 30 minutes, you're in for a treat. And then from there on out, you texted me multiple times to try to guess what the scene was. And you were sincerely trying to figure it out. Do you want to do? You, I don't know if you have the, te- the conversation. Uh, yeah. I, I have it. I have it. Uh, but why don't you you tell them what you guessed, and then I'll tell them what the actual scene was because you didn't right. get it. So I had said that I hadn't even gotten to the Paul Rudd clip yet. So this is where we're talking. So it's still very early in the movie. So then I text vacuum cleaner scene question mark right, which is a solid guess because that is the scene where <laughs> they trap Mac using their vacuum cleaner because these aliens. That's how they actually end up. On Earth, because NASA sucks them up, they're apparently very susceptible to suction. To suction, it like flattens them and condenses them. Yeah, but that was so. I said no, like you know, that's that's not correct. Yeah, Uh, and so then I said uh, the dog slash power wheels chase, which is where (laughs) Mac is behind the wheels of a little like toy car, and a bunch of dogs are chasing after him, which is. A delightful scene. No. Um, I did. I did want to. <laughs> I did want to ask you if it was the uh, the incredibly physically impossible like chase through the supermarket slash department store slash car chase scene. I didn't ask about that because I had a feeling that wasn't it. Uh, which, the last one I asked about which, was it wait, the ex- wait, wait, wait. Since you mentioned that scene, if I can have one second, I I could spend this whole <laughs> podcast trying to figure out. The store manager who walks up <laughs> to the because what happens is Mac finds his family and then he's the he's the littlest kid and then he has a sister and two parents and the parents are like adult size and they, they just adult want, human size. Yeah. Yeah. And they understand how their bread is buttered. So they're just trying to grab some Coca-Cola off the shelf. The adult aliens and the store manager sees them. He has now learned that aliens exist. <laughs> He is not phased by this at all. His only concern is that these aliens are stealing products from his store. So he walks up to them. He tells them to stop, which they don't understand because, and if you just missed, I just said it, they are aliens. So they don't speak English. They don't know what he's saying. And he keeps telling them to stop and they don't. And he's confronting them. And then he says, get security. And I thought that was so funny that it was like, so now, now that it's really at the point where you have confronted them and they haven't stopped, you're not actually going to stop them. <laughs> get security killed. <laughs> and the best part is that wasn't even the supermarket slash department store scene I was talking about. See, this is the problem with this movie. <laughs> Um, no, because the, the last thing I did actually text you about was the explosion slash shootout, which is the end of the movie. And we will circle back to that. Oh, we're going to circle back to all of these moments. But, Don't get me wrong. But no, it was none of those scenes, because the scene that I actually meant when I said it to Andy was the scene that took place in a McDonald's where so they decide to get Mac out for the day. So they dress him up like a teddy bear. I don't know where they got the idea to use stuffed animals to hide their alien from, but a good I idea. Can't think of it. 
Great idea. <laughs> and then in the backseat of the car, well, with, after the stuffed animals thing, they're trying to feed uh, Skittles to the alien. Again, this is really creative stuff, and I applaud them. But uh, they get to McDonald's, and he's, again, their entire disguising him is just he's in a teddy bear costume, but then he's moving around like an alien, and he just has eyes cut out where you can see his weird alien eyes poking through. But what happens is all the other children are so excited by this teddy bear that uh, they're claiming is like a robotic teddy bear that does not move robotically. And so they get so excited that they have a giant, well-choreographed dance sequence first in the McDonald's and then down the street out of the McDonald's. That's a thing that happens in the movie. And I don't know if you caught this, but I did catch at the end of the movie, because of course, Ronald McDonald is there in that scene. It says in the credits, Ronald McDonald as himself. Of course it does. <laughs> of course because it does. the real Ronald McDonald played himself in the movie. Yes. Yep. That's a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. That is to me the well. That was the, I don't know if he, that's even the the wildest scene, but that was the scene I was texting you about because I was watching no, and it deservedly so. Yeah. Well, and so even weirder when you first said the dance scene, I thought it was the weird dance break before they got to McDonald's, where there's just a dance crew <laughs> out in front of the McDonald's. Yeah, is another thing that happens in the movie. Well, because that is foreshadowing. Mm, true. Yeah. It's like expert filmmaking. Um, no, this movie is so insane. <laughs> Which I have to say, if you're going to do blatant product placement, do that. Because it's. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. <laughs> this this movie was I was never bored. I was never distracted. I was never sidetracked. Because. Everything, every scene is weirder than the previous scene. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, I think I could talk myself into loving this. I don't think it's good, but I. Oh, it's uh, terrible. But I think. But yes. But I think it, it, it does come around that it's so, you know, it, it's just not good that it's fat. It's almost like the room, honestly, where it's just. I think Mac made the movie. I think he wrote the script because like none of it feels like the way that humans behave or interact. <laughs> no. And this isn't even counting the weird like Mummers-esque pantomime gimmick with the, the other Mac alien family people. Yeah, which I yeah, they, it's all confusing too with them. I think they were just dying in a cave. And didn't think to get up because it seemed like they just needed to eat, but they were not going to move or look for their kid, apparently. Oh, except they do their weird like, little V hand gesture to the sky occasionally. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Which, which banana scene do you want to circle back to? None of them. I want to talk about the fact that at the end of the movie, they are sworn in as American citizens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching like <laughs> so 
they resurrect Eric from from death after he's caught in an explosion and a shootout. We're going to get back to it. <laughs> this is part of it. Yeah. And then it smash cuts <laughs> to a judge. Which for, at first I was like, is it their trial? And then I was like, <laughs> is it a wedding? I did not guess it was a citizenship hearing. I'm like, because, all right, so here's the other thing. And this is the most bananas directorial choice in this whole movie. Just saying something. Which is, yeah, and I stand by this statement. So, it smash cuts to the judge. Mm -hmm. No, like, three weeks later, no anything. No, this is that afternoon. Yeah, this is later that day. (laughs) The the, the explosion happened at night. This is that day. Yeah. Nobody can sleep. They were all (laughs) so excited. And so the camera is on the judge, and it does occasional crowd shots. None of those crowd shots show the aliens until the very end. Yeah, and it like swings around to catch them. And they are all wearing clothes for the first time. And the dad is wearing a suit. Yes. The mom is dressed like Donna Reed. Yes. Um, the kid is wearing like a shirt that I think just says kid on it. The mm-hmm. Mac, like the, the, the main Mac. And I don't remember what the other girl is wearing. And it's also played as if they they look like they don't really know what's happening, that they're just raising well, it's their hands. Vacant, like, yeah, like uh, gape expression that these alien masks have. Yeah, they have completely but, blank expressions and they're just they're doing the hand gestures, but like mirroring what they see the people around them do to raise their hand to be sworn in. But it you don't get the sense from the way they look and the way that they're moving that they have any idea what's happening. And then they drive off into the sunset. In a convertible. This movie's amazing. <laughs> it's It really is. Okay, so I, w- I w- wanted to make sure to get to that. Do we want to... I feel like we keep teasing it. Should we talk about the second death? <laughs> yeah, I think... So we kind of hinted at it when... <laughs> The aliens are going in to steal the coke from the store because they don't understand commerce because they're from a a cashless society, it would seem. Yeah. And this eventually leads to the sheriffs getting called who arrest the older brother for being there. Um, and. And oh, at some point, the, the, the father alien gets a gun. Yeah. He just steals a gun from someone. Well, it is. I mean, him. most realistic part of the movie, they because it's America. They're just laying around, just handing out. Yeah. Um, and they've also established too that the father alien is strong enough to tie a knot in a tire iron. Yeah. That's another thing that happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> they steal the coke. They start walking back to their car at the gas station that's near this, like food emporium a gunfight happens but eric in his wheelchair goes to save them and then everything explodes yeah the building and, um yeah the Presumably building the killing hundreds hundreds of people yeah everyone that was in it which was a big store yeah um and apparently like there is a uh, in the Japanese edit of this movie, they show Eric getting shot. 
Yeah, it's also on YouTube. I watched it. Uh, nice. Yeah. So what? Apparently, the original version of this movie was that one of the cops shot Eric by accident, and he died. And then the explosion still happens. <laughs> but uh, he he died from a gunshot from a cop. And I guess test audiences said, well, everything else in this movie has been ridiculous, but this feels absolutely 100% real. So they had to take it out. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then the aliens all get around him, play light as a feather, stiff as a board, and it brings him back to life. And he's fine. No ill effects. Yeah. And doesn't, I don't know if he remembers that he was shot or, or not. I, like, he doesn't seem phased by the fact that he dies twice in this movie. No one sells anything. And it's unclear. I mean, I guess the implication is that saving his life is what got them their citizenship. But that's not explicitly stated. No, it's just smash cuts again to the judge's chamber where they're being taken the citizenship oath. Bear in mind, they cannot speak any discernible human language. No. They whistle. Yeah. And this whole time, the government has been trying to capture them and contain them, but presumably have just let it go. Yeah, because they saved a kid. Yeah. So I, this movie's great. Yeah. All right. Do, do we need to talk about any of the other specific scenes? Oh, well, the it's not man. Here's the thing. There's so many wild scenes that I'm like the dog, the dog's chase. Does that lead into the chase where the government agents are chasing after them? Or is that a different scene? I think it is a different scene. It just at one point, Mac commandeers a power wheels and it leads all the dogs in the neighborhood to chase him. Yeah, I do think that's er yeah, I think you're right. That's earlier. That, that might be before the McDonald's dance thing. But then it is. It is. Yeah. Later, the government is trying to get them and Eric is racing down the street with Mac and then they his brother picks him up and the wheelchair up in one motion and pulls him into the car while the car is moving and Eric is moving. So let's talk about the physics of this scene. Yeah. Um not just not even to that part yet. Like we're we're still a little ways away. Because um, I'm chalking that up to that's like when you hear stories of when a mom lifts a car to save her right. child. So that's his brother is just having that kind One of, of those moments, adrenaline yeah, moments. And so that completely just save it, you know, uh, with Adam Savage or whatever, you know, with your Mythbusters. Is that You're the right mythbustering. Yeah. Don't Mythbuster Mac and me. Yeah, they don't try it. it. Um, all right. So. Mac is sitting in Eric's lap as they try to escape the G-Men in his wheelchair. Mm -hmm. It's implied that it's a little bit of Mac's alien magic that's making the wheelchair go really fast. You know what would have been cool, and I've never seen in a movie before, if they had to start flying then? Like, right, and then, like, go, like, in front of the moon? Yeah. Be a cool image. It'd be a dope shot. No, wait. They did that in Jay and Son of Bob Strike Back. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Where Ben Affleck is the moon raper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, anyways, so he's going very fast. Uh, and 
causes a multiple car accident as he's careening down the highway. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge body count of background characters in this movie. Yeah, the, the the collateral damage of Mac and me is off the charts. Which, to be clear, we've now told you Mac could save any of these people's lives if he wanted to. If he wanted to. Has no interest in it. So then at some point, Mac starts skitching on the back of a uh like a delivery truck basically yeah like that uh eric grabs a hold of it and is getting pulled by the delivery truck with his wheelchair Mm -hmm. and you have to assume that the truck is probably going decently fast at least 20 25 miles an hour at a minimum it's like a residential area or whatever the government agents do not lose a step they keep up the whole they keep their distance the whole time they're running yeah they're on foot yes And uh, so they are all the T-1000. <laughs> yes. But it's not until they get in the van with the brother that then. They that... can't keep up anymore. Yeah. Well, so no. And so then this is when they go into the department store where I guess Eric's mom works. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, she just started her job. We do find that right. out that it's her first day of work. There's there's an entire backstory with the mom that the movie has no interest in exploring where I think it's said that it's like her first job in 10 years or something. But it's been a long time that she just moved out to L.A. from Chicago. So I don't know if their parents are going through a divorce or what. Or, or the, the, the dad is more collateral damage in the in Eric's reign of terror. Right. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, also, <laughs> I just remember because you said it that way. That at the point that the Paul Rudd scene happens where Eric goes down the side of a cliff and then lands in the water. At that point, nobody knows that Mac exists. And his mom is assuming that everything that Mac is doing around their house is being done by Eric. So when she first finds out that he went into the water, she thinks that he did it as like this thing like that he's trying to convince her that there's an alien and he did it on purpose. That he essentially staged a suicide to uh, to get revenge on his mom for moving because she didn't believe what she you know viewed as a lie that he was perpetuating about an alien that was first uh, dirtying and then cleaning their house, which were all yeah. the things that Mac does up until that point. Absolutely wrecks the place, and then and then there's the vacuum cleaner scene, which is amazing. Yeah. And oh, uh, and, and he can turn on electronics that aren't plugged in. Yes. Yeah. And uh, whenever the TV turns on, it's the snorks. Yep. Because another thing in the movie. Well, that's the thing we talked about McDonald's and we talked about uh, you know Coca Cola, but that snork money. The three most ubiquitous things in the world: Coca Cola, <laughs> McDonald's, and the snorks. You can't walk a city block without finding one of them. Yep, I. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true that, statement that, that is a, that is a <laughs> factual statement there is no lie in that sentence you walk a city block you will either see a coca-cola a mcdonald's or a snork yep that's my guarantee that's the, that's the joel murphy guarantee you can take that to the bank <laughs> all right um do we <laughs> Do we need to talk about any of these other scenes? I mean, the whole thing, we could we could spend an entire hour talking about any one particular scene. But is there anything else jumping out at you or do because I do have some other just like 
silver assorted silver lining so i don't know um i loved the vacuum cleaner scene where just <laughs> debbie his new friend his neighbor puts on a backpack vacuum a la ghostbusters mm -hmm. it, it sucks up mac and then he poltergeists the, the vacuum cleaner all around the house just wreaking havoc and causing what should have caused severe damage to that poor child right and also like mac pretty chill about all of this in the end again he yeah. saves this kid's life multiple times like he's not uh, utter yeah utterly nonplussed about the whole situation but forgiving considering yeah. he has godlike powers and it kills a lot of people he seems pretty loyal to eric yeah i don't know why he imprinted on eric but which he really does. I mean, it's, again, completely unexplained, but they he climbs into their car, but definitely chose their car when he's escaping from the government. And they're yes. sort of at a stop. And it, he just climbs into the back of the car. Yeah, it's uh, this movie's just wild. It is. All right. Do we just want to right, what else you got? Yeah, let's go. OK, so I just like broad silver linings, but I think this one's important. I love the design of Mac so much it's it's perfect it is so good to me and it's i think that that really was the first thing because again for years and years only knowing this from paul rudd and not really knowing what it was you get the eric thing which is wild because it's a kid in a wheelchair where like the brakes fail on his wheelchair and then he speeds down a cliff goes which, careening off a cliff yeah. which is a very weird you know thing to put in a movie anyway and very heightened and ridiculous and so already that's wild but then that scene always ends with max head popping up and then a close-up of his shocked expression and that was all i had for years and years and it it intrigued me and it sold me and i i think this whole movie I don't know. They, there's something about the adult ones that lose a little bit in the translation, but Mac is perfect. Well, and so so Mac is essentially capitalizing on all of like the Disney design choices of like how to make something cute, like the Disney slash, um, you know, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes design choices. He's got like the bulbous belly. He's got the giant eyes. Um, you know, he's ill proportioned. Um. You know, it's it's all of those things like to make you want to look at something as cute. Yeah. And he's cute. And he's definitely like, he's more adorable than E.T. is. Oh, e. yeah, is not for sure. cute and cuddly. Um, But I think where the movie goes astray is that all of the other Macs are just sized up. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Like their faces are utterly the same. Yeah. No, they made one like, mask four times. Yeah. Well, no, they made two masks because the girl Macs have four horns, four little nubbins on right. their head. And the boy masks only have two little nubbins on their head. Right. That's, yeah, you got me there. Yeah. Attention to detail. So yeah. that's what I'm here for. Uh, um, but yeah, he is, it works for Mac and it's hilarious and adorable. And the mix of stop motion puppetry and little person in a suit is just hilarious. It's all great. And again, I I think my favorite bits might be when it's him. So it's a person in a suit who's then the character is also in a suit of uh, this giant stuffed animal that is so nonsensical because one, the movie goes out of its way to tell you 
that Eric is too old to have this stuffed animal. So inexplicable why it exists. And it's also the size of Mac. Yes. The teddy bear. Perfectly the size of Mac. And Mac is the size of a toddler, probably. Yeah. Probably two and a half feet tall, something like that. Three feet tall. And can fit in it. And his eyes match exactly where the eyes of the teddy bear are. And God, when the little kid at McDonald's absolutely no sells Mac, Mr. Fantastic out to steal the kid's milkshake. What is going on? There's so, so many amazing no sells in this movie. (laughs) It's great. The little girl, like she meets Mac immediately. The one that befriends Eric. And she is just like, oh, I met your friend. And he's like, I don't know what he looks like. And she's like, really? But like still not faced either. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's so speaking of Debbie and her older sister, Courtney, uh, Courtney is, I think, low key, the 80s movie character that's ever existed. I don't know. The mom's hair is pretty 80s. So the mom's hair is pretty 80s. Yeah. But like. Because I feel like even in like Back to the Future, they were trying to like play up the 80s niche of like uh, Marty's girlfriend and a lot of those like. I feel like. Courtney in that movie looked like girls actually looked in the 80s, not like Hollywood thought girls looked in the 80s. That's sort of the point I was making. Yes, I would agree with that completely. Because uh, I think both of my brothers dated four different girls that looked like Courtney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, since you mentioned Back to the Future, do want to give a shout out to the fact that the music in this film was composed by Alan Silvestri, who did Back to the Future. And that is very obvious that like you can... I feel like they said, get me the Back to the Future guy and have him do Back to the Future type flourishes because we need something that's like John Williams. Yeah, 100%. Um, And the score is a perfectly cromulent film score. Yeah, it's not super memorable, but it is just a solid because I love so if people don't know because why would they because they're not nerds like me Alan Silvestri is also the guy who wrote the Avengers theme he wrote the back to the future theme and the Avengers theme of music he's and the Forrest Gump suite and the man is an icon of composing and I love him but yeah he he just wrote he probably wrote this in like he probably knew what this movie was and didn't try super hard and was cashing a paycheck. But him cashing a paycheck is still a rock solid 80s music score. <laughs> yeah. So. I would say that Alan Silvestri is probably the third most well-known film composer. Well, he's funny because I don't know how many people know his name, but if you started listing things that he did, people know his music. But I don't know how well, much I, of a household I, I, name I, he is. And I think that's why I'd put him third, because I think John Williams is unquestionably number one. Yeah. And I would say that because Danny Elfman is so distinct, he's probably number two. And because Danny Elfman is out there. Like, I think people know what Danny Elfman looks like. They, you know, we're all Oingo Boingo fans, obviously. Oh, all big fans of Oingo Boingo. That's, yeah. that's a real thing. Um, But I think that, like... Because I don't think there's a ton of people that know like Alexandre Desplat or, uh, you know, Michael Giacchino. Although people are starting to know Michael Giacchino. He's sort of the heir apparent. He works a lot. Williams in a lot. I of mean, the, the only other big name. I'm glad we're finally getting to this like 180 episodes in that we're finally nailing down our composer picks because you, you haven't mentioned Hans Zimmer. And I mean, you got to you got to have the Zim in there. Gotta somewhere. Have the Zim. Uh, he he does a very specific thing, which is just like uh, edging. I think he does the musical equivalent of edging of just like constantly right at the 
<laughs> right, at most... the, right at the precipice. Yeah. yeah. He did the Batman uh, for, um, I have to clarify this because there's so many, but the Christian Bale, like the Dark Knight yeah. movies, that one. Um, Howard Shore is another one that's yeah. like in the, com- you know, but, um, but no, but like Alan, Alan Silvestri is, his music is probably most well-known relative to his name. Yes. Because like everyone knows the Black Back to the Future score and everyone mistakenly thinks it's John Williams and it's not. Right. Yeah. Because as I think Silvestri was who you got in the 80s if you if John Williams didn't return your call. <laughs> like and I don't mean that as a diss because he just all all 80s composing kind of sounded that grand way. It was all very orchestral and very like Wagnerian. And yeah, but um, I, I really do mean it. I, I love so much of his music, but if he oh, only yeah, ever great. composed the Avengers theme, I think that's about as perfect a. Bum, 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 bum. It's good. Yep. It works when they do it in a minor key and like end game. It's all it's all fantastic. Yeah, it's, um, it's great. Uh, God, this movie, we could talk for hours about every scene in this movie and it's all uh, just wild. Um, I feel like it's a noteworthy trivia bit. That Jennifer Aniston's first on-screen role is as an extra in the dance scene. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's funny to say her first on-screen role because I mean, she was an extra, but she's yes. an extra, yeah, yeah. yeah. But her but, first on-screen appearance, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, it counts. And I mean, I someday when uh, people can point out that my first on-screen role was as an extra as well, I'll be thrilled. You know, for my uh, five seconds of screen time, not even five, two seconds of screen time. And, uh, don't look twice. Yeah. Don't think twice. Don't think twice. Not don't look twice. Yeah. Don't that's the sequel. Don't look twice. Yeah. Don't think twice. Don't think twice. Um, Yeah. The, the movie that obviously meant a lot to me because I know the name of it, but no, it's, it's a great, it's Mike Birbiglia's improv movie. It's really good. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's an act. I I do. I, I think, I don't know how enjoyable it is to non improvisers, but man, that movie hit me. It no, I mean, you and I uh, became friends doing improv, and I just Berbiglia, you understand people who do improv for sure. Yes, yeah. Um, and we got to see him do a talk, and him and uh, Gillian Jacobs do a talk about that movie, so that was fun. Yeah, it was a nice reunion with me and the rest of the cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and Geth really caught up. <laughs> Yeah, which again, we just, uh, you know, immediately just started talking comic books, as we always do, right. me and Geth. And you yeah. and Geth caught up from all your experiences together. Yeah, I, I am also a, f- a featured role in uh, Chris Gethard's documentary about his uh, comedy tour. <laughs> I, I ha- I'm interviewed in the movie. Yeah, so we, we have deep ties to Chris Gethard. Deep ties to the, to the cast, to the crew. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I walked past Keegan-Michael Key in Detroit once. Yeah, and nobody can you take know. that away from you. But by God, people have tried. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, that wasn't him. And you were like, yes, it was. Oh, I just meant they were trying to give me brain damage, so I forgot. Oh, that too. But that's, that's, that's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this- I, did, did we do it? Is there anything else that we need to? Th- I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, but is there anything else that we need to talk about? I mean, the way that I described this movie to you in that same text that we were speaking about is this is a bunch of blue polka dots on a blue background. 
Because everything is so weird that nothing is weird in this movie. Yes. Yeah. It also, I, I kind of felt like, too, that if I was trying to sum this up, it kind of feels like someone accidentally stumbled into making a Naked Gun style parody of E.T. <laughs> like, that's not what they set out to do, but they uh, did. No, it's not at all. <laughs> but it has that feeling of like every scene is hilarious and over the top. And it is doing the beats of E.T. Like you essentially made a fantastic parody movie, but you weren't trying to do that. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that the actor, Jonathan Ward, that played uh, the older brother, Michael, is from Elkridge, Maryland. And that's that's nice. The next town over for me. So that was nice. Maybe. Did, did he come back? Maybe you guys can hang out. Uh, no, I looked it up. He uh, he lives in he lives in Van Nuys, so maybe you should check him out. Okay, yeah, yeah. If he and if he's listening, if he you know maybe has and a we know or, you are. Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan. No, Ward. hit me up. We'll we'll go to McDonald's. It'll be yeah first for me. <laughs> Years. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. This. Uh. I, I think. I, I think this movie is a watch for me. I think you should. I think you should give. I think listeners out there, if you've not seen it. I think I think you should. No, I agree. It's because, if, again, if you only know it because of Paul Rudd, which is how I knew it, that's maybe not that even the top tip five. of the iceberg. Yeah, maybe not even top five wildest things that happen in this movie. So, yeah, just, just give it a chance. And I think if that does it for us, I think we should, since Paul Rudd was the introductory point, I think it's only fair to go out with a little bit more Paul Rudd. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We, we have, have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.